Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. I'm your host, Jordan Plank. Joining me are Dr. Stan Wallace and Dr. J.P. Moreland. Listeners, in this episode, we are discussing a topic that has been discussed in every available form of media for as long as human persons have been wrestling with it. There is a lot of content out there to sift through and find anything that could help you understand the conversation between determinism and free will. Our aim with this time is to help you go from knowing the definitions and major features of these positions to being able to spot them in your real life engagement with books and movies and TV shows and so on. So getting a much richer understanding can give you the insight into the stories people have told and retold over thousands of years and the new ones that are coming out consistently and constantly. So let's dive in. Sounds good. Yeah, let's do. All right. So as we're talking about these these two big ideas about um, how we relate to the world, it can it can get us into... Um, ideas about salvation. It can get us into all sorts of theological things, but I want us to start as close to the bottom as we can. So we're going to talk first about defining free will. And as we do that, that free part is where we're going to start. What is freedom? What does that mean? Well, I, I think we would start by saying we're not talking about political freedom, which is uh a range where you're the state allows you to do what you'd like to do without punishment or other kinds of uh, limitations. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, human action and uh, do human persons have free will? And we might even be talking about God and angels. But once that said, if Stan, let me just give a quick. These are quick definitions, but there are really two fundamental views. Uh, about free will that accept freedom. Uh, And one of them is widely acknowledged as the common sense view. Doesn't mean it's right, but it's the common sense view that to to, to have free will is for nothing to determine uh, your action. Instead, you have what's called active power. You exercise active power as a first mover and Nothing causes you to act. Now, there may be things that influence. Uh, you may have certain motives and so on, but but you can always act contrary to those. And so freedom is that it is literally up to you. It is within your control to do raise your hand and vote or refrain from raising your hand and voting and perhaps going to lunch. Now, the compatibilist, uh, says that, oh, by the way, and th- that view of freedom is not compatible with God's uh, strong sovereignty uh, in a deterministic way. Uh, the compatibilist says, basically, that freedom is the ability to do what you want to do or what your your, your own desires and reasons uh, indicate, but you're not free to choose your reasons or your desires or what you want. So your wants and your 
uh, reasons for acting and all that at the moment of, of action uh, are, out, are not under your control. And if they're present, you cannot act any other way than what they cause. So you only have one way freedom or ability. Uh, you have to do what your overall uh, mental state is. And you're free if you can do what you want to do, but you're not free to choose your wants. Those are out, controlled outside your control. Stan, you want to add to that? Not much. So yeah, the the traditional view, or I think you, as you said, the um, common sense view is referred to as libertarian free will. The you know libertas notion of freedom, also referred to as counter causal freedom that you did X but could have done Y or Z or any other number of options under the same conditions. So uh, it's contrary to a certain causal chain that you're in. And the other view you refer to as um, a compatibilist view of freedom, which says that, uh, again, there's a compatibility between us being free and determined in that, as you just said, our beliefs and desires or reasons are determined, but based on those, we really choose to do what those things direct us toward. Uh, also known as soft determinism, in that it is deterministic, but it's soft uh, in, in that sense. So there's a lot of different words that are used here, and there might be uh, some nuances that some might make, but uh, those are the two big players when you talk about views that maintain we have some level of freedom. Of course, there's a strict hard determinism where we're hardwired and have you know no internal or external <laughs> states that can can mm. can can in any way enter into that causal sequence. But in terms of views that have some sense of freedom, those are the those are the two players out there. Jordan, I want to add something. Uh... To what Stan has said, which we're on the same page on our understanding. Um, there's a view of the church that says we're both free and God is completely 100% sovereign, and it's a paradox or an antinomy. I mean, they're both true, but we just don't understand it. Now, that is a horrible view, uh, and it's it's not it's logically contradictory. And God cannot engage in logical contradictions. He can't love his son and hate him at the same time. Uh, he, he can't create square circles in Montana. Uh, so when people talk about this antinomy or this uh, paradox view, they're assuming libertarian freedom. They're saying, look, we're free in the, in the common sense sense that I'm a first mover. Nothing determines what I do. Nothing causes me to act. I am a first cause of my own actions. Thank you very much. Well, if God causes me to act deterministically, then I'm not a first cause. I'm a second cause because I can only I can only do what God causes me to do. Well, I, it's a contradiction to say that my actions are uncaused and caused at the same time. So that's why compatibilists who understand that that can't be true, have done what Stan does, and they define uh, freedom in a new way. And, and and they say, again, that freedom is the ability to do what you want or, and so on, but you do not have freedom over what you want. And once what you want is in place, it causes the result, and you don't have any other alternative. And so, and so I'll finally say that determinists and libertarians both agree 
about what free will would be if there were such a thing. And they agree that it's the libertarian notion. The difference is the determinist uh, or the hard determinist says there just is no free will. Uh, the, the libertarian says there is. So neither one of them accept the compatibilist understanding of freedom. Now, a soft determinist would be someone who says, okay, I'm willing to grant that determinism is consistent with free will if you define it correctly the way the compatibilist does, that I can do what I want even though what I want is controlled by factors outside of me. And I'll jump in uh, also, JPS, really, really good. Uh, the listeners, I'm sure, then can see the connection uh, between this and certain views of salvation in that uh, uh, God could, on the soft determinist view, determine your beliefs and desires or desire toward him or to make a, a, a commitment of faith. And and therefore you do, so you're determined to do so, but on a soft determinist view, it's still free in that sense. So you still freely choose, even though it's not free in a libertarian sense. So that's where some of these things play out in terms of views of salvation that you mentioned. So just as a, you know, a mm -hmm. tip to some of the value of thinking about this. Yes. I want to mention one other thing that uh, also, uh, there is often the objection raised to the first point you made, JP. Uh, about this logical contradiction in the antinomy view. And, uh, and and the objection is that, well, God's logic is above our logic, or those rules are not uh, relevant to God because he's he can do anything. He can be logically inconsistent if he wants to. He's God. And uh, there's a lot to be said on that. It would take us too far afield to get into all the implications, but it's a very, very slippery slope to get on because the moment we say that that these laws of logic aren't are, are just sort of arbitrary and things that we use and aren't ultimately grounded in God's very nature and His very processes of thinking and and uh, and speaking, then we can't take anything He says to mean what we think it means because we are applying the laws of logic to His words, and when He says. Uh, that he so loves the world, well, if these laws of logic don't apply, maybe it means he so hates the world. We lose all revelation from God if we make that move. So it's just a very dangerous place to go. Mm -hmm. That said, it's wise, and there's good philosophical and theological reasons to justify this, but I'll just say for pr those practical reasons, it's wise to maintain that uh, the laws of logic apply to God and us, and therefore to uh, at least be very wary, if not outright, uh, reject this uh, this this view that, JP, you were mentioning, this antinomy between, yes, we're free, but yes, God ultimately determines uh, directly all actions. Yes. So if I understand correctly, it's not that the laws of logic are above God, but more that they emanate from his essence. He is mm -hmm. logical, therefore logic exists mm -hmm. in, in the world he created. Yes, they're grounded in God's nature, especially the what, in the nature of how his mind orders his thoughts. So the laws of logic are really grounded in God himself. They're not arbitrary or above him or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd, I'd like to comment uh, on this whole concept of choice. Mm -hmm. Stan is spot on when he says that both the libertarian and the compatibilist 
talk about choice that we can we can choose. But they mean radically different things by that. And I think that's important. There is a difference between the active and the passive voice. In the active voice, I say, I chose to get a drink. So that sounds like an action that I performed. But for the compatibilists, there really are no actions. There are only passive happenings. So when the compatibilist says, I chose to go get a drink, what he really means is, or he or she is, that a causal chain entered into my conscious life, and it produced a passive event of getting a drink. And so I did not choose to get a drink. A choosing was caused to occur in me, and it was a choosing that led to the getting of the drink. So there there are no actions, strictly speaking. Uh, And I think a lot of times a compatibilist gains an intuitive sense that their view makes a lot of sense because they talk in the active voice, but but they really should not be allowed to do that because the active voice uh, indicates that there was a a real action that I performed, an intentional action. But I would not say that if a if a tree was blown over by the wind and it it knocked over a shed, that that was an action. I would say the trees falling down was produced by the wind. It, it wasn't an action the tree performed. Uh, so if, if all of my events are caused by other things, and so if there's a an event of getting a drink, that is not something I do. It's something that happens in me and it causes my body to move toward the water fountain. So I just wanted to, wanted to clear up that they mean different things by choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. I've got a real life example I use to illustrate this. I was going out to dinner with my wife and son and we pulled up at a, at a stoplight behind a car and then another car pulled up behind us and we we're sitting there waiting for the light to change. And all of a sudden we were jolted and we rammed into the car in front of us. What had happened is somebody had failed to see the light was red, had run into the car behind us. It rammed us. We rammed the first car in line. Now we could say that the car ahead of us was hit by us, but it actually wasn't an active event. It wasn't something that we in any way chose to cause to occur. The causal chain started with the guy not seeing the light red, him hitting the woman behind us, her hitting us and us hitting the first car. So it ran through us, uh, but it wasn't something that we actively were involved in. That would be different than saying we chose to hit the car ahead of us, that we intentionally by our own volition and our own libertarian choice were the active agent in that ramming. Now, interestingly, when the officer showed up on the scene, I was not cited. He was a libertarian. Because <laughs> even though that causal chain ran through me, he did not think I was causally relevant to the series of events. Hmm. And I happen to agree with him. Beautiful example. Mm-hmm. And, and probably the real cause was the first car. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. And, yep. and in our case of choosing, the real cause is the first mover, me. And so I am like God in that sense, that God is a first mover that brings about through action different results, and I can do the same thing. Hmm. Good, good illustration, Stan. Yeah. So if we've got uh, a Venn diagram, and we've got one circle that is libertarian free will and one circle that is hard determinism, if those ideas crossed over, compatibilism and soft determinism would be in the middle. No. 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 That would represent a com- apples and oranges kind of thing. Okay. Um, or to JP's earlier point, a logical impossibility. Yes. Yeah. They're, okay. they're, they're essentially different. Got it. That's right. Because they both the determinist, the hard determinist, and the libertarian both agree what freedom is. Mm-hmm. So they're, 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 if the circle is, what is freedom? Then they would be the, they would. The Venn diagram would be a circle. Yes. Yeah. They'd both mm-hmm. overlap fully. Um, if the circle is, do people have that kind of freedom? The two circles would not overlap, but they would be two separate circles. Mm-hmm. So the compatibilist has to completely change that game and come up with a new Venn diagram uh, that that has nothing to do with the one that the determinist and the libertarian have as regards to what freedom would be or whether we have it. Because the compatibilist changes the definition of freedom to make it so it can be compatible with being completely and fully determined by forces outside my control. Mm -hmm. Let me make an observation here. We're talking a lot about the importance of distinctions and terms that are used in different ways. And we've talked about this before, but I want to draw it out again. It's so important in this conversation. Uh, And I am actually quite frustrated often by conversations on these topics, uh, whether they're in books or sermons or just conversations around the fire pit where claims are made about what freedom is or what uh, salvation is or what choices are. And these distinctions are just glossed over. And so people end up talking past one another and, uh, and, and can't understand one another and aren't able to really understand what one another's saying because the same term is used in this case, freedom or choice but entirely different things are being meant by it. And it just goes to the point that historically the study of theology and the case here that we're talking about related to salvation, but anything else, it involved as a central component of the conversation doing philosophy and making some of these distinctions, which is what philosophy does, not only, but a lot of it is making distinctions and getting clarity on on the issues we're talking about as a starting point and then evaluating them. And so uh, unfortunately at the Reformation, you know, we, uh, we tended to throw the baby out with the bathwater and uh, didn't do as much philosophy anymore and uh, just did try to do theology without this. And so our theology gets pretty muddled sometimes because we're not able to make these more, more fine, well, not even fine grain, these, these even broad distinctions that help us clarify what we are and are not saying. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, I'm going to get a little plug in here. Uh, I know that um, uh, William Lane Craig is working on a systematic theology text as somebody who's trained both in theology and philosophy at the doctorate level to try to bring some clarity to 
a number of issues, not necessarily just this issue per se. I don't even know what he's doing on this issue, but I just know that's his project. And I'm excited to see it come out because there is such a uh, a dearth of these type of distinctions being made and clarity being brought to the conversation. So, sorry, I'm on my soapbox. Kind of <laughs> probably went on Love too long it. about that, but I, I just it. needed to say it because this is such a classic example it of is. where this comes comes home to roost, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. JP, do you know when when uh, when Bill's systematic uh, is 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 slated to come out? He just signed a contract with uh, Wiley Blackwell. Okay. Uh, for him. Yeah, for the first two volumes, and he's about ready to wrap them up. Oh, nice. But it's so it will take, I would say two years would okay. be my guess. That would be my guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how many volumes does he have in total planned? I'm not sure. I think it's four. Okay. Uh, but but uh, don't quote me on that. Again. Yeah. Four, four, five, something okay. like that. Great. Very cool. So if we can move those circles, we've got hard determinism. And libertarian free will circles, if you can imagine those kind of being moved up, would there be anywhere where soft determinism and compatibilism would be in conversation with each other? Well, soft determinism just means compatibilism. They're the same thing. Oh, okay. Soft determinism is the view that we're determined, but we're still free because freedom means what the compatibilist says. And so I don't find talking about soft determinism helpful. In fact, I think mm-hmm. it confuses people mm-hmm. uh, because it makes them think that we're talking about determinism mm-hmm. and yet it's not real determinism. It's maybe it's 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 not quite determinism. It's just a little bit maybe a strong influence. I, I'd forget soft determinism and just talk about libertarian freedom and compatibilist freedom and determinists. All right. So listeners, imagine us taking that ball and just kind of shoving it off to the side. (laughs) So here we've got three. We've got compatibilism, libertarian free will, and hard determinism. Just say determinism. Determinism. Because the determinist and the libertarian agree about what freedom is. Mm -hmm. One says we got it, the other doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the compatibilist says, now you got this wrong. We're determined, but it doesn't matter because you've got the wrong definition of freedom. Freedom is doing what you want, even though you're controlled. So that's the real issue. And most conversations in the literature just talk about determinism. I admit there is a distinction to be made, but for for our audience, I think it's it's not useful because I think it Mm -hmm. confuses things. Though if you're if you're in philosophy, it's good to make the distinction, but not for a general audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I think I've heard people who are determinists. Mm-hmm. Not express soft determinism, but soften their claims of determinism because it can seem very unkind or Mm-mm. it muddies the water a bit because it's kind of like, well, I'm a determinist, but and then they they have their list of exceptions. Um, and what you're saying, JP, is, well, you, you can't really do that. Yeah, and this is this is good, Jordan. Um, I think this is going to be helpful for our listeners. Can can you recreate a conversation where with a person that said such and such to you, and and how they stated what the exception, how they 
identified the exceptions and what some of them were and how they put it? Can you can you do that? Mm-hmm, I think so. So okay. um, one of them, and and let me just tell you, it was, there were so many distinctions that needed to be made that it was actually difficult to prioritize which, which one to do in which order. So we were talking about personality differences in children and yes. how they interact with each other. And this person said, well, I'm from an, a big Italian family. So that kid has Italian genetics and that means he's just going to be mean. He's just going to be loud and he's just going to be mean his whole life. But our other son, well, he looks a little bit more like his uh, mom, who's primarily French. And so, you know, he's a little more, he's a little more academic and a little less uh, abrasive. Yes. And uh, so we're we're just going to, you know, kind of let that be as it is, you know, uh, right, I'm thinking, right. um, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. going to be a great strategy, but it, they were expressing a genetic determinism. Yes. Well, yes. You know, based on, based on this child's ethnic identity, I can say that he is going to be mean and unkind. Well, yes. And it's not even just that, it's that he has to be. That he has to be, yes. He has, exactly. he has no choice in the matter. Now, right. what I would say is that there is absolutely no scientific evidence for any of this. All the scientific evidence shows is that people may have an a genetic inclination toward, mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that they have to act on it or they can't change it. Now, there are some things that are genetically determined, like the color of my eyes and and things of that sort. So this is a good example of a person that's kind of trying to have it both ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's an example that I I found, and maybe Stan has some, but I've you know, we were having an event at church, an evangelistic event. And, you know, just about five minutes before we were supposed to start, there wasn't a really very good crowd here. And, and you know, the, one of my one of the brothers said, well, you know, God's going to have what, who God wants to be here. So, uh, you know, and if God wants somebody here, they're going to be here. And so the, the idea is that we don't we don't have to really do anything because God's already elected who's going to be there and he's going to determine their behavior so we don't have to sweat the small crowd and then later on afterwards he said you know i think the thing that we should have done is done more publicity on the radio and may, maybe um actually passed out flyers in neighborhoods uh in certain neighborhoods well that assumed that whether we did those things or not made a difference to how many people came so that our choice in doing that actually influenced the crowd. But that's contrary to his statement that, look, God's going to have who God wants there, period. So whatever we do can't change that. It's already determined before the foundation of the earth. So uh, yeah, it's that kind of muddled thinking that allows people to use God's sovereignty to comfort them but when they when they need to think about what they could do, they shift to a libertarian view, and they they you, they appeal to one or the other depending on on their present need, and mm-hmm. they've got a big Charlie horse right in the middle of their view. That is a contradiction right in their in the center of their thinking. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. 
Do you have a child, relative, or friend preparing for or attending college? What they need most are Christian professors who can help them learn to love God with their hearts and minds during these impressionable years. Global Scholars equips Christian professors to be there for them and walk with them during their years in college. Please visit www.global-scholars.org to learn how you can help equip Christian professors to show Christ's love on a campus near you and around the world. Please also check out Stan's other podcast, College Faith. While this podcast is focused on the ideas prevalent in our culture, including our universities, the College Faith podcast is more focused on the practical issues of thriving in college as a Christian. Students, as well as parents of students and soon-to-be students, will enjoy hearing from the guests Stan has on the show. Visit collegefaith.net or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now, back to Thinking Christianly. There's something related that I'd like to get on the table. Uh, I, I did have, as one of my last classes uh, at Talbot and MA philosophy program, uh, uh, a class with you and, and a compatibilist, uh, team teaching on this issue. So it was really a good opportunity to, to, to look at both sides of this and read a lot of the literature. But uh, I found that in the, uh, the, the writings of the compatibilists, the conversation always started with, as I'm aware of my internal processing, I just see that I can't do otherwise than certain things I believe and certain uh, things that I want to, to be the case, and I choose accordingly to that. It's, it's the wrong way to go to start the question of what's the nature of a choice by just trying to be aware of my present processes. Because there's something called a hierarchy of capacities where at the present moment, I might not be able to do otherwise than certain things that are determining my choice. Somebody who has an addiction to nicotine at, 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 at the present moment has to light up another cigarette within an hour or whatever. So yeah, so that choice, quote unquote, is determined by these these internal states. In that case, there's some physiological things involved too, but you can apply it to somebody who who will always fly off the handle. If you mention something, they will just get angry and they can't help it. They can't not do it. But what it misses is that there are higher order capacities or abilities to do things that ultimately result in me at the first order level or at the, the, the level of action doing something else. So my father smoked like a chimney for 35 years, finally went to smoke enders, made second level or higher order decisions that ultimately resulted in him being able to say no to that next cigarette and stopped. Or a person wants to be more kind and they start practicing certain spiritual disciplines that will form them in such a way that they ultimately can make choices that are kind, even though right now they can't. It's not their disposition. So I just wanted to make sure that we got on the table that where we start this conversation is important and where we think the, the real data is for what choices are uh, is going to in some ways drive the conclusion. And those who are uh, compatibilists start at only that first order level of what I'm aware of. And a lot of what we do is driven by the things we believe in the things we want and doesn't look like we have freedom. It totally misses though, this 
hierarchy of capacities and the ability mm-hmm. for us to make choices that will lead ultimately to, to make other choices. So at the higher order level, we've got libertarian freedom, even if at this point, at the first order level, we don't experience that. We still have it and can choose to do things that ultimately lead to us making act, actual choices that are changes to what we are naturally inclined to do at, at the present. Mm-hmm. Probably well, could have been said clear, JP. You might want to jump oh, no, in. But... No, I love that. I love this. Uh, in fact, uh, this was a central part of the of a book I wrote called Finding Quiet mm-hmm. about dealing with mm-hmm. anxiety. And so people can get to the point where they can't, if something triggers anxiety, they can't not be anxious. Uh, they have no freedom of the matter. Mm-hmm. If that trigger happens, they are going, they have to be anxious. So they don't have the ability not to be anxious, but they have the ability to develop the ability not to be anxious. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that your focus will be different, because if you focus on the first order ability, my ability to just not be anxious, then you're going to try to just will not to be anxious, and that isn't going to work. But if you realize that you're not free at that moment, but you have the ability to become free then you're going to focus on things at a higher second order level, like uh, certain practices that you mentioned about practicing certain things when you get anxious to not ruminate on them and think about it. That will eventually restore that first order ability to say no to anxiety. And so you can regain the first order freedom, even though you don't have it, by exercising freely your second order ability to regain that first order freedom. I just think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you just said that so much better than I did. Oh, <laughs> and well, much, was, much more briefly. So thank you. Yeah, no, you, it was, uh, you, it was good being working with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's a really great point about um, the way we, the way we go through life. You know, we, I don't think it's a arguable point that there are a lot of people in our culture who are looking to external things to numb or soothe them. And quickly those things become, they're no longer choices that Mm -hmm. the individual feels like they are making. So with the cigarette example, we're going to continue with that. So in reaching for a cigarette, someone who is addicted to nicotine is not acting in freedom. Even though they are free to choose to pick up that cigarette, it is almost as if they are bound by their addiction in a way, unless they can get to that higher order thing. Tell me more. Help me out here. Well, they're not free to choose to pick up the cigarette. That's what we're trying to say. Mm. They, they're, not, they're, they're not free not to pick up the cigarette. They have to pick it up. They're determined to do so. But they're free to go to an AA meeting or to, mm-hmm. to go to get into counseling uh, to help them get to where they are. They're no longer determined to pick up a cigarette and they can actually choose to say no to it, but they don't have that yet, but they've got to get it. So they have the second order choice to go get help so that after time, that first order ability to freely say no is restored. Mm-hmm. And the distinction yep. I'm making here, to piggyback on that, is for soft determinism, it's a focus only at that first order level and an awareness that I actually 
don't have counter-causal freedom. I can't do otherwise. Mm. So uh, I'm not free in that sense, but I am free in the sense of I'm doing what I want to do. So I'm making this choice because it's my desires and my beliefs that another cigarette will soothe my anxiety or whatever it is. And it's the libertarian who says, no, even if that's true at the first order level, which it is in addictions, for instance, at a second order level, or maybe a third order, order level, you have a libertarian freedom. You can choose to do otherwise. And those choices will ultimately result in a first order level libertarian choice to not do what you have historically thought you're determined to do. So I'm distinguishing the compatibilist and the libertarian in that issue of whether, in fact, you are determined, even if it seems like you are at first order level, which is in the literature by self-determinists, what I see the argument being, this phenomenological evaluation of my internal, present internal states, beliefs and desires, mm -hmm. and what that's leading me to deterministically choose, although the argument is, but they're mine and my beliefs and my desires, therefore, it's free in this compatibilist sense. Mm, that makes sense. And that's taking a really narrow view of phenomenology, too, because phenomenology done properly would encompass a bigger slice of experience. Sure. And take those into account rather than just that that one choice. So sure. there, a compatibilist is is using parts of phenomenology, but not necessarily using the whole toolbox there. They're just being aware of, of, of a certain set of phenomenal states or, 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 mm -hmm. or their, their inner processes. And mm -hmm. to your point, not being aware of these higher order capacities or decisions that they either can or are making. Mm. I don't know, JP, you've done a lot more in phenomenology than I, so is that Well, no, I, I, I agree. Helpful? There, yeah, very much so. And they're, they, the problem is they're looking at the wrong phenomenological object. Mm. <laughs> they're looking at, at, at their present state rather than the long haul development of that state. And, mm -hmm. but, but I think to give a plug for phenomenology, uh, I believe that we have phenomenological evidence that libertarian freedom is true. And let me explain what I mean. I, I believe that we are able to sense the different texture between freely choosing to think about something as opposed to passively receiving information, say, as a listener. So it's one experience for me to put myself as a patient uh, or as a passive uh, receiver and uh, and Stan, you you teach me something, and I I am aware of of a information being received by me. But if I choose to think about early American history, I exercise my active power and freely just start thinking about that. There is a sense in which I am aware of being the originative agent of changing my thought mm -hmm. and nothing forced me to change my thought. Now, what's interesting is that years ago, the, a Nobel prize winning neuroscientist, Wilder Penfield did exper uh, massive experiments on patients whose brains had been severed down the middle. And 
he would touch different parts of the brain and, and different imagery, like their grandmother cooking breakfast would occur to them. But one of the things that people always were able to do is, is to make this distinction. They would say, oh, I'm thinking about when we built our swimming pool, but, but I'm not choosing to do that. You're doing that to me. I'm I'm I am being caused to do it by you, as opposed to when he he would say, you know, choose to think about something, or, or and they would able to re, to report cases where they were freely choosing to think about something, and he didn't say do it right now, but in the next thirty minutes, every now and then, just choose to think about something. And they could report, I did that, you didn't do it to me. And they could report cases where they were being causally determined by him passively to have a thought. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. They could they could phenomenologically tell the difference in the texture between being an agent and a patient. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're aware of that difference. Mm-hmm. Not every time we may miss it, but we, we have clear cases we're aware of it, and that's enough. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. That's really interesting. All right. We're going to do a comprehension check. Uh-oh. I know. I know. <laughs> so I would like you to, to answer the question, but also help us understand how you got to that answer by kind of talking us through how you got there. You ready? So what I'm going to do is say a short quotation, and I would like you to let us know whether you think that quotation is representing libertarian free will, compatibilism, or determinism. Stan, you can go first. (laughs) 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 So listeners, I'll pause and uh, you'll have a chance to kind of think, okay, which one do I think this is? We're going to start with a, a softball. You ready? There you go. Yes. All right. All right. To me, the universe is simply a giant machine, which never came into being and will never end. The human being is no exception to the natural order. Man, like the universe, is a machine. Nikola Tesla. Okay, so um, he is claiming implicitly a libertarian understanding. He starts with to me, which indicates that he has thought this through and come to a decision that uh, he and he could have come to an alternative decision. That's why he's saying, here's the decision I've come to, which is a libertarian assumption with seemingly a deterministic ontology he's come to embrace, yes. namely that the universe is and all in it, including persons are machines. So it seems that it's both, Amen. though he probably, I don't know what he'd say, but he may not uh, be able to identify his libertarian premise and conclude, therefore, that he is determined in his thought processes. I I totally agree. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well done, gentlemen. You have correctly, (laughs) I think, (laughs) determined that one. Okay, now you get a harder one for JP, I guess. All right, all right, That was a softball. Let's see. Oh, no. My fate cannot be mastered. It can only be collaborated with and thereby, to some extent, directed. Nor am I the captain of my soul. I am only its noisiest passenger. Aldous Huxley. Well, it, it, I would have said this is a, a just a strict determinism, except where he said to some degree, I can 
directed. And I think that's a compatibilist way, because I think that depending on the structure of your conscious and mental life, that will direct your actions one way or the other way. Now, it's not that you choose one or the other, but but there, as Stan has said, these are your, how do I put this? They're yours in the sense that they're within you. So I would say that that's more compatibilist, uh, though most of it sounds deterministic. That one little qualification uh, made me think it was compatibilist. You know, to some degree, we can redirect and so on. Well, that sounds like there's a little, there, there's a compatibilist freedom consistent with this deterministic picture. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Stan? No, I, I I agree. But it also illustrates that so often, even very thoughtful people and very widely read and quoted people are not very consistent and aren't very clear. And sometimes it's like the emperor has no clothes, but we're not willing to say it because, oh, that's so-and-so. He must know or she must know that really is, you know, an important person. And no, not so much. <laughs> All right. Ready for our, our third quote. I know who I am, said Don Quixote, and who I may be if I choose. Sure. Sounds very libertarian to me that he's got the freedom to... Uh, make choices that he doesn't have to make. So he's not determined, but he could make them such that he can become a different person to a certain extent, right? So maybe he isn't a very kind person, back to the other illustration, but he could become a more kind person. Now, you know, we have to be careful because, you know, there are limits. We, by our nature, are constrained in certain ways. But with that caveat, yeah, it's a libertarian sense of I've got control over becoming the type of person I desire to be Mm. for good or ill. Yeah. What do you think, JP? Ditto. Perfect. Makes sense. All right. This one's a little longer. I'll give a little setup for it. So this is in the book East of Eden by John Steinbeck. And there are three characters sitting around a table and they've just reflected on the story of Cain and Abel. Mm. And one of the names of the characters is Adam. So that's a little confusing, but we'll go there. Adam broke in. It makes me feel better, not worse. What do you mean? Samuel asked. Well, every little boy thinks he invented sin. Virtue we think we learn because we're told about it, but sin is in our own designing. Because, Adam said excitedly, we are descended from this. This is our father. Some of our guilt is absorbed in our ancestry. What chance did we have? We are the children of our father. It means we aren't the first. It's an excuse, and there aren't enough excuses in the world. Well, that's uh, pretty either strictly deterministic or compatibilist. I'd say deterministic because a compatibilist will very clearly use a sense of moral responsibility and duty. So it sounds like the, the original Adam and Eve had libertarian freedom, but subsequent to that, uh, it was determinism all the way down so that there's we don't have to embrace that guilt because we're we're victims of our heritage, that sort of thing. And I, I think, well, we'll get to biblical issues next time. But, yes. but I would say that, that that would be my analysis. But I do want to touch on a biblical issue, maybe even as a little primer for our next time, because this would be the two readings of the doctrine of total depravity 
one sees total, this would be the Calvinist understanding, sees total depravity as extensive and intensive. In other words, it extends to every dimension of our being, our intellect, our emotions, our will, our desires, everything extensively and intensively. It affects each of those fully on this view such that I can't have a right thought about God. I can't have a right choice about the things of God or what's right, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to uh, at least some forms of an Arminian view, which is the contrary to a Calvinist view, which would see total depravity as extensive, applying to every dimension of our being in the same way, but not intensive. We still retain some ability to think proper thoughts about God, have proper emotions toward God. However, those aren't salvific. One has to still place faith in Christ. But we still retain some of that image of God and ability to reflect him in those ways. So to segue maybe to, to next mm-hmm. next time, uh, how you would read Steinbeck would somewhat be determined by, if I might, your mm-hmm. understanding of the nature of depravity as uh, total in one or uh, both of those ways. Mm-hmm. And we are going to start the next episode with another quote from this book a few chapters later. And I will ask you guys the same question, what what you think it is communicating, and then we will get launched into that conversation in our next episode. I think it's going to be a really fun time. Sounds great. Thank you. I enjoyed this. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation in the pursuit of faith, seeking understanding. Be sure to check out today's show notes at www.thinkingchristianly.org slash podcasts, where you can find more information and the resources we discussed. Finally, please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars. Until next time, this is Jordan Plink, encouraging you to think Christianly.